This show is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. If you're starting a show, I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Slap Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. I appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, today, we've got a really fun show planned for you. A friend of mine who lives in uh, Melbourne, Australia, John, is joining us here uh, today to have a conversation about sports cards. And, uh, you know, a quick plug for John follow him at uh, a saucy collectibles. And then he's got a podcast as well called double coverage at DBL coverage. So give him a follow John. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And, you know, let's start off by, I just love to hear, you know, a little bit about yourself and, and, and how you got into the hobby. Give me a little glimpse into your collection and where it's at now. First and foremost, thank you very much, Emil, for having me on the show. Um, I mean, this is uh, the first show of someone else's that I've been on so like I'm pretty stoked to to come on here and chat cards um I mean I think you felt my energy previously when we've had uh, conversations uh and my passion uh, for the card industry um and so yeah I'm excited to be here and uh let's dive into it so uh I mean my collection sort of it revolves around a few players so uh like one's uh Kobe uh, the other one is LeBron. And then from there, like my two modern guys that I, I, I buy, look, you know, I, I hold a uh, significant bag in would be uh, Shai Gilgis Alexander and Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, I think, you know, those two guys. And then I'm also like, I mean, I wouldn't say that I, I've got a, a large collection of Zion, but I'm starting to dabble in some some Zion stuff because uh, I think he's going to be an amazing talent. And I'm, I've been trying to tell people in the hobby, like, you know, everyone's going to eat their words in four or five years. Like, you know, I, I just think the skills he's got right now uh, and, and where he's uh, he's developing it, I think people are starting to open their eyes and realize what a force he could genuinely be. So, um you know, that's, that's what my uh, collection revolves around. I mean, everything I do is to consolidate and to buy more Kobe cards. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I would sell my SGAs and, and my uh, JJJs in, in a heartbeat if it meant to buy like a, a Grail Kobe card. Like don't, don't get me wrong there, right? Um, but it's just that, you know, the Kobe cards have now got to a point where they're just probably a bit too far out of reach. Um, and um I'm just waiting for that market to, to cool a little bit because it's, you know, it had an amazing run up and we are seeing uh, some of those uh, vintage guys and, and greats come back down to earth a little bit. Um, the new floor is being set and I, you, you like to talk about this on your, on your podcast. Um, and and I, I feel that we're, we're probably nearly there because they have, have dropped quite significantly from their, from their new all-time highs. So um, that's where maybe I'll be looking to, to move some of these modern guys. And that's why I, I hope, I mean, it's unfortunate that um, JJJ is still out. I was uh, hoping for some, for him to be playing by this point and see his cards, you know, get a bump because I was, I was buying his cards, you know, when he uh, fell off significantly after the bubble 
uh, last year and uh, in a plan to sell a fraction of those cards to then buy some some Kobe's or, or LeBron's. Um, but I think I think that's the plan that most people have. I mean, if you don't have a plan to consolidate into a goat, essentially goat, yeah. however means you want to call it. Um, I mean, what are you doing? That's that's <laughs> what I say. Um, I mean, because not to say like I like I buy modern cards and I've got a, a hell of a lot of them, and I, you know that's probably where I, I buy and flip my money, make some two x, three x, and you know it all piles up to then buy bigger cards. Um, but I. Um, like the the those modern those modern guys, as I said, I would get yeah. rid of them, you know, quick to so, go back into the the main. And, and I love that, you know, that <clears throat> to me, like that's I I feel like that's important part of, of of collecting is right having kind of your guys who are your pillars that you can kind of grow a collection around. And then I think that generally happens where I, I I'm I'm buying in the modern market too. It's just fun, you know, when you get to see your players on the on yeah. the TV screen and they're actually performing in front of you. And there's an element of you want to be right. And so you want to, you know, pick your guys that you believe in and hopefully they come through over, over a period of time. And I think that's a, that's a fun part of the market. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. How, how long have you been in the market for right now? Uh, so I've been in the market for we've probably been just on two years. Uh, and I mean, early days, I was so, so, uh, boisterous about the modern market and how the disparity between the modern market and the, and, and the vintage market. And if you go back and listen to like, you know, podcast uh, on the double cover podcast, like number one to 10, I think, you know, every week I was giving a saucy smoky, I give a saucy smoky, you know, it's a card pick or a play sort of thing, which in most places do um, about, you know, what, what I would, what I think is, you know, undervalued or, sure. you know, what's not getting enough respect. And I think I was just literally giving like Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan cards, like pretty much every week. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, you know, these guys, aren't, they should be worth more. Like Luca, it's no way Luca should be worth this much. And Trey should be worth this much. And these got all these guys should be worth this much. And um, these, I mean, you know, oh, right. I hope some, I hope <laughs> some people listen to me. I hope yeah, some people yeah, listen yeah. to me. I didn't think that I was just a fool at the time and, and saying that, you know, these guys are, are way overpriced, which I still think some of the modern stuff is overpriced for what they've achieved. But, you know, by all means, if that's what people want to spend on, on that, that's their prerogative. Like I'm not going to tell you how to spend your funds in the hobby, but I just personally wouldn't go out there and spend, you know, $1,500 on a Luca base prison card, PSA 10 personally yeah um i just think there's there's better opportunities to, to buy that i mean like you know just for instance i was just looking at just before kobe bryant uh draft redemption uh psa 9 it's only got a pop of like 213 and like that card's only 2k so you're telling me for an extra 500 bucks i'm throwing in i'm gonna get a kobe rookie uh card that looks way better than lucas card in my opinion it's got like a refractor look to it and it's only got a pop of 213 and whereas lucas pop is like and then that's just the nine. If you can afford the 10, I think it's like five, six, 7,000 or 10,000 or something like that. But I just, you know, in the pop disparity and the goat disparity, I mean, I love, I love Luka Doncic, but don't get me wrong. By the end of Luka Doncic's career, if he, he's not even going to be close to what Kobe Bryant achieved in his career. Yeah. Nowhere close. I think you've hit on an interesting point about modern versus vintage. And I was actually having this conversation today and I want to talk about the Australian market and that sort of thing, but you've hit on a really fun topic that I want to kind of touch on here is 
I was talking to someone else about how to get into the GOATs because I think there's this preconception a little bit that to get into the LeBron and Jordan and Kobe markets, you have to spend an ungodly amount of money. You know, someone I someone I talked to today think, thinks you have to spend 20000 to get into that market. And that's just not the case, right? Especially if you kind of get away from the idea that uh, you want to buy PSA 9s or 8s instead of PSA 10s. And I think that that's a transition that a lot of maybe newer collectors are kind of going through right now is, hey, maybe if I stop looking at only PSA 10s and I, I kind of start giving myself a, a, a variety or an option of how to get into other cards well, and with it being lower grades, I think it opens up the whole collector's market for guys like Kobe and Tim Duncan and LeBron and Jordan. And Tim Duncan's a whole nother, you know, bottom level of that. But to get into those guys, opening yourself up to lower grades allows you to really, you know, give your collection kind of that, breath of fresh air because you get into cards that are nicer and of players that are more relevant and that are going to be more important to NBA history, but also uh, you get to manage your risk better because instead of Luca, now you're in Kobe and that's a, a much safer place to be in it. It allows you to kind of, you know, lower your anxiety about your portfolio when you're super yeah. Modern heavy. So I, yeah, I know you're someone who has a lot of modern stuff and how do you kind of manage that? How, when do you decide Okay, I'm I'm gonna buy Shea Gildas or 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 Jaron Jackson Jr. or I'm gonna you know put something away for long term because obviously we want to be taking profits here. We want to have cards to flip so that we can turn a little bit of cash. But how do you kind of manage that level of risk and then that buying decision of am I gonna go modern or am I gonna go Kobe or LeBron? Right. Yeah. So first and foremost, I'm gonna start off with saying like every time I'd say to someone you know, and I'd give my pick on my show and it was, it was a Kobe card or a, or a um, Shaq card and, and the PSA 10 was like, you know, a good sum of money. I would always say, if you can afford the 10, go buy the 10. Right. If you cannot afford the 10, buy what you can afford. And I would encourage people, instead of going buying a raw one, just buy a PSA 8 or buy a 9, right? Because I think at some point, and I was saying, I think at some point people are going to start valuing the eights and the nines a lot more than just the raw card. And at the time, the raws were, you know, nearly the same price as the eights. And yeah. we've seen a shift in that. So we've seen that people are starting to value those lower grades more, especially in the older cards, cards that are 20 plus years old. Like you need to think how many times has that raw card changed hands, banged in a top loader, banged in a sleeve and so on. So, you know, damage happens. Um, now, how do I manage my risk? That's a very, very good question. Uh, I probably don't move as many cards at the right time as I probably should. But for me, it's, am I making profit on this card? Yep, I'm making profit. Sometimes I've bought cards that, you know, have literally gone the other way. Uh, I'm holding like some LeBron cards, base cards that I probably should have never bought. One good thing is it is LeBron. Will they ever get back up in value? I did, genuinely do not think so. Which one are you um, talking about? Out of curiosity, because I, I bought uh, some myself. So Yeah, so I'm talking about the, the Optic uh, 2018 base card, and that had a lot of hype around it, and I probably bought into the hype a little bit. I mean, I bought some PSA 9s. I think I bought two at $100 a pop, and I thought I was getting a good deal because, um, I mean, they were once a $300, $400 card. I'm looking yeah. at a card letter going, oh, man, this has dropped like 300%. Like, surely this is good. Now that same card is worth $30. Yeah, the pen um, is worth so, like $86 or something. I bought correct. a couple of them myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like kicking myself because I'm like, I should have just waited. I shouldn't have and just seen where the market was going. Uh, obviously, after the bubble and that situation, that's when I bought it. 
And, um, you know, as we've seen what happens, which is a real bizarre thing in the market, that the person who actually wins, their price doesn't go up, it goes down. Um, So so, um, I thought, you know, it was an opportunity to buy these cards. I mean, I'm stuck sort of holding the bag. I did sell one for like a $60 loss. And that was just because I was like, I had three of them. I did consolidate and buy another one when it got to $40. So it's around the market, what it's at now. I think they're around 30 to 40 PSA nines. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm annoyed at myself because I'd rather just have just waited and just bought one ten, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it was like buying three nines and two were at $100 a pop and one was at, I think, $40. Um, so bit of a pain in that sense. Um, I did buy another lot of um, LeBron, the Revolution uh, card, and people were saying it was their, his first Lakers card, which is actually false. I found out later on that, that this was a preconceived uh, false lie going around the hobby it was not his official first lakers card there was like a father's day card which was the father's day edition and that was his first lakers kit um card which someone told me so i was like i actually got caught up in that so now i'm like much more weary especially with base stuff especially with you know major print stuff i'm much more weary um i mean i'm still by that stuff of modern guys and but what i'm starting to do now is buy uh, one of my plays that I did give out was like buying cheap uh, nines, PSA nines of base cards, buying them straight from eBay and sending them directly to Starstock and loading them on Starstock and you get them to write FP on the package. So it classifies for fast pass. So meaning it will be loaded within your account within one week and stuff on Starstock sells for significantly higher than on eBay uh, when there's stuff, when things get right, like not significantly, but you can get a bit extra. And because it's only modern, like the pool of players that people are buying is less, right? So uh, people are always looking for that opportunity. So like what I started doing when I started buying these cheap nines, like, you know, 20 to $35 each and sending them directly to Starstock. So I started to compile a bit of a, and like, this is a bit of an experiment, right? So I'm not sure whether this is, this is 100% going to be a play, but I'm like, you know what? I haven't used Starstock. I feel like this is a good entry point to, instead of putting money in there and buying cards directly off there let's put some cheap graded cards in there uh, and you know people are paying overs for these star stock a's that you could potentially send off and there's no guarantee that you're going to get a 10 because they did their latest sub and you know not all the star stock eggs got tens you know some of them got nines and eights as well so yeah. you know how good is their actual eye in deciding what's an a um, so I was like, oh, let's put some nines on the platform and see how it goes. So, I mean, I can, I'll report back. I am, uh, this is a bit of a, uh, a test. So I just, I just sent them over just yesterday. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and I'm looking to some of the guys that I did buy, like I bought you know, some Jared Jackson ones and that I picked up, some, they were actually tens. I picked up some Don Rice base PSA tens, uh, for like $30 each. Um, you know, no one's thinking about them. And I just thought that was a steal for a 10 and picked up. So I, like, I, I'm, look, I'm trying things. I'm trying to, 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 to a few different aspects to try and enhance how I flip my modern stuff. Um, and then other than that, I mean, uh, just trying to grade uh, yeah. other modern stuff I, and, and flip that. I think if you're anything like me, you've been in this for some time now and you're starting to, you know, realize that buys that you made six months ago or seven months ago, you're thinking about things really differently. And I think that's important, yeah. right? Because I think we're learning through those mistakes. And I think every single person that's joining the hobby, like what I would commend you on is that you're trying things, right? Because at the end of the day, like that's the only way, especially in this hobby, especially in almost anything you do, 
is the best way to learn from it is just to do things and understand what works and what doesn't work and then shift and adapt. And I think that's such an important part of learning any new skill, especially in the hobby right now and taking advantage of the fact that in the hobby, things are moving, like cards are moving. You're able to shift your portfolio around. You're able to sell sometimes if you need to at a loss and consolidate into different cards. And that's that that allows you to make mistakes and not sink with the ship, right? Like it allows you to to, to, to make your mistakes along the way and then change as you need to go. And I think that's- You can't dwell on your losses. That's one thing that I've learned. Like, yeah. it's like, you just, you never get anywhere. Like, and you know, there's some cards that I bought and I was just like, uh, and there's some cards that I've, that I've bought for like a couple bucks, like two, $3 and I've graded them. And then they've come back a nine and then I sell it and I'm only making, you know, $3 on the card or $5 on the card, especially, you know, I graded a bunch of stuff and like, you know, here's, here's one that, a LeBron, you know, another, and then like, I bought that card for, I think $2, right. And I graded it, cost me 25 bucks to grade here from Australia by the time postage and everything. So that's 27 Australian dollars. And I mean, I'd be like, I, I, I can't move this card. I've tried, I've literally tried to sell it for $35. So I'd, I'd be making what $8 on the sale and I, I can't sell it. I can't sell it. So that's important, <laughs> like, right? Like you got it. Like, and I want to get into this because you're one of the people that's actually like grading with CSG. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but I think that's I, I think that's the point, right? It's like we're both learning new things as we kind of go along the market. And I think that's really interesting. Let's uh let's let's jump into something that I think is super fascinating. It's something that I've really you know been thankful for with not only this content platform but also just getting into this hobby, which is meeting people across the world like you who are getting into similar interests. Me and you have obviously a similar uh, interest here in the sports card hobby, but getting to talk to someone like you who's you know across the world. I, I want to hear from your perspective, kind of how the Australian market is doing uh, in the sports card world. I know it's it's going very, very well. I know that there's a lot of energy. I know you went to the Melbourne Fair recently. Uh, can you talk about kind of what that's like over there and how it's growing in the Australian market? And what do you see as the future of kind of the Australian sports card hobby? Look, it's it's been a very, very uh, interesting ride. Like, you know, for instance, when I joined like the, uh, I would say the number one Facebook group uh, for buying and selling cards within Australia, it's called NBA Card Market Australia. Um, I think it was at about 2,000 or 2,500 members. And to this day, I think it's maybe at about 6,000, maybe 7,000 uh, around there. And that's just for NBA cards. And we've got our own one for NFL cards. And then there's one for Australian football cards so afl cards um and the ma- the market is is growing like uh you know we, i spoke to uh, did a podcast with uh, uh cherry collectibles uh, nice. which is the, the number one hobby store in, in australia um you know people over in the states are familiar with them they, they break with for people all around the world um and you know they were saying you know there was stuff that they were uh, sitting on uh, like you know soccer cards boxes of soccer cards that literally sat in their store for four five six months right and the they just didn't sell uh and this boom came came around and you know breaks started filling boxes started getting bought and you know all that stock that they had of you know they had stuff sitting there for six to eight months nearly 12 months of soccer cards they sold out they they don't have any boxes anymore right so if you know and and soccer would probably be one of the you know isn't the number one market here but if that's just the perspective you know, if soccer stuff was selling out, you can imagine how quick NBA, uh, you know, boxes and things of that like are, are selling out. And, um, you know, there's people posting cards every day. And, and I mean, I'm actually, 
sort of in a uh, I was doing a bit of sneakers before I sort of came into this right not like a, a major thing but like you know here and there like making probably you know an extra couple hundred a week you know sure. flip buying and flipping sneakers and I was I'm actually in a sneaker what they call a sneaker cook group right so you join this group and they give you all the links and you know it helps you sort of come across all the releases that are coming out right nice. And I sort of seen a pattern what was happening in this sneaker cook group. And I was like, oh, I reckon at some point these guys are going to get into cards, right? So I'm in this group. Like you pay like a monthly membership to be in this group. It's like uh, cost me 20 bucks a month, right? And it's good because, you know, all these guys now they're into the cards. So they're now able to, you know, they're, they're buying uh, boxes of cards and things like that. And now I'm able to, I have a network of people that I can now go and buy uh, boxes of. Uh, and you know, some of them, a lot more of them are into like the quick flip game. So like they want to buy the boxes at retail, quick flip it. And that's where I'm like, I buy my boxes at retail. I'm able to get like some of the stuff here in Australia. It's very different. It's all, everything's on pre-order, right? So every, every, you know, they drop a release to our major retailers and it's all on pre-order. It's not, it's, you don't go to a target and hope you hit the restock. You don't line up at a target and, and wait there for hours and get one box, you, you get you're allowed 10 boxes and 10 packs or whatever per order now if you have multiple accounts and you're able to do a little bit of you know uh, wizard work and you can get more stuff right by all means that people do that um but this network has allowed me to start stacking sealed product and that's where also i've been starting to move a portion of my um portfolio into sealed wax right because the you know one of the things that stood out to me when i had uh you 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 just had uh one of the good friends of the double coverage family which is uh chris mcgill chris hoge uh on the show you just recently had him on he's yeah. coming our show uh, a couple times and um you know and i said from your experience chris you know seal wax the secondary market you know is it always more and he just took to return around he goes seal wax on the secondary market is always undefeated and I, I'm like, that stood out to me. And I was like, you know what? It's probably, and I've thought about it. Every time I've been able to buy wax, I've never lost money. I've never lost money on wax, seal wax. I'm never, right? So I was like, you know what? That's probably a very, very safe investment, especially if you can get boxes at a, a good enough price. Um, and I was actually able to pick up a case of um, Prism uh, Football 2020 uh, Blaster nice. Boxes. And I, I picked them up for, I think I paid 2400 Australian for the case, which is really good. Uh, I reached out to a couple of people over in the States and I was like, you know, is this a good price? Da, 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 da. Did a bit of research before I pulled the trigger. And he, and there was, and the guy just turned around and he's like, dude, if you don't buy it, I'll buy it. You can ship it here to the States. I'm like, all right, no worries. I'm going to buy the boxes. <laughs> um, so um, I was just like, you know, I, I've started to do a bit of that and, and move it into more, obviously the more, um, higher end products and you know more like the optic and select and, and prism you know and i do get like some of the the nba hoop stuff but some of that stuff's more for like a quick flip you know you buy the boxes at 55 bucks and maybe i'll just try sell them at 85 or 90 which is significantly under the market make a quick buck and then that allows me to also if i get 10 boxes i can rip three and i mitigate my losses this is my big thing with ripping boxes there's no point buying 10 boxes and ripping them all because there's a good chance you get nothing and that's what happened to me last year. I spent $800 on optic retail boxes. I ripped them all. I didn't get one jar. I didn't get one Zion. My best card out of four and a half boxes I think I ripped was a DeAndre Hunter order. Right? That was my, and that was $800 worth. So it puts it into perspective that, you know, the ripping game is, it's, it's not, it's not going to get you anywhere in this hobby, right? Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I'd like to rip product. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure other people out there, most people in the hobby like to rip a pack here and there. Um, but this is where I just brought it back to like, if I'm going to buy a product, I'm going to buy some, flip some, rip some, hold some. And that allows me to mitigate my losses over the overall investment in the sealed wax. And if you invest like in the right sealed wax, you can, you know, enhance that uh, exponentially. I mean, just go have a look at like, you know, um, the uh, 2017, I think the blaster boxes uh, from Patrick Mahomes year selling for 1K each. Um, and then the, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson uh, 2018 year, which is uh, selling for about 300 each. So, you know, if you got those for a hundred US dollars back in when they first came out or 50 to a hundred and you sat on them till now, you have a significant uh, flip opportunity to, to make you know, a profit. Yes. So, See, you know, sealed wax is one of those things where I've, I've talked to a lot of people who, who buy sealed wax and they're like, yeah, this is the best. This is such a great investment it, you, and you hold it. You don't rip it. As soon as you rip it, you, you've, you've basically given it away. So it's, it's gone, right? It, you're not going to make anything out of it. It's definitely not ROI positive and holding it though. And, and the way someone described it to me, which I really liked kind of similar to, to what Chris was saying was, you know, the longer you hold wax, the more people rip it, which makes what you hold even more rare, which is why typically like if you're holding that stuff over long periods of time, not only do people want wax because ripping product is a huge part of the hobby, but two, the more you hold it, the less there is of it. And it's, it's a fascinating way of, of how the supply of that shrinks over time, um, which, you know, obviously helps when you have the increased demand of it. So uh, it, it, it's a, it's a fascinating strategy and I think it's really interesting, but um, very, very cool. So, I mean, you, you, uh, I, you know, the sports car hobby is blowing up everywhere and I, and, yeah, and it's I blowing they, up. yeah, you guys are feeling the same thing over there, which is awesome. It's the, to, it's to the trade shows that are going to build this up. And I, I do know there is a, a one going on in Sydney. It's called the hobby hangout. And I believe that this show will be traveling around the country and the, and we will be having on the show uh, this coming week, the, the organizer, his name's Andrew. So to have a nice. chat about it. So, um, and I mean, he's even getting uh, people from the States to live stream in to join the show. Uh, I think he's got Jeff Wilson live streaming in. He's also got uh, Tyson Beck, who's uh, the designer who who designs stuff for tops, um, you know, live streaming in. So there's opportunities for for international people to get a part of the Australian market and then you put their footprint here. Because as I've said to you, Emil, I said to you on another conversation, the goal for uh, us here in Australia is to have an Australian national card convention. Uh, that is the ultimate goal that one day that we do have an Australian card convention, because I think that would be just brilliant. I am no doubt going to use that as an excuse to come to Australia for the first time, because I've always wanted to go. And if there's a national there, that's it. That, that's what I need. I'm in, you know, like, that's awesome. Yeah. So I hope it happens. Cool. Yeah. Selfishly. I hope it happens. So, <laughs> uh, you know, tell me something Australia, when it comes to the COVID situation, has been considerably more open, right? I mean, you guys have been, have you had it way, you've, you you guys shut down a little bit earlier and have had it way more under control, right? So have you guys been going out a lot? I mean, what's the kind of vibe there? Because the concern here in the US is as people kind of come out of the whole quarantine and coming out of COVID, um, people are going to go back to like spending money at bars and going to go out and the attention is kind of going to go away from the card market. I don't know what your perspective of that is, uh, you know, for, with the way Australia has kind of dealt with COVID, but I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Um, if you have any, so there was only really one state that got shut down and that's the state that I live in and that's Victoria. Uh, every other state 
you know, hasn't really shut down. I think Perth never shut down. Queensland never shut down. Okay. Um, Perth had like a three-day, you know, flash lockdown. Uh, I think Sydney had like a one-week lockdown. And um, other than that, you know, Victoria was the only state that really got locked down. So um, there were still people, uh, you know, buying and selling and wheeling and dealing. Like it didn't really... The energy much. of the card market just went up, right? I mean, it did. Yeah, it, it went up. Good. It went up even more, even though, you know, other than one state, every other state was open. Um, it was still game buses actually increased uh, more interest. Um, and, and it um, made people do a bit of cleaning around in, uh, their house and found their cards. And, and I mean, I even seen more, you know, I mean, a couple of Pokemon groups and things like of that nature. So I even seen people like pulling out their old Pokemon cards and, and stuff. So, um, just the whole card, you know, industry, it just, it elevated. It elevated over the last 12 months. And I think that was a lot of places around the world. Um, and it, it hasn't really slowed down. I mean, there's, you know, people selling yeah. cards, although people are trying to sell their their, their NBA hoops uh, base rookies for ridiculous prices that, you know, last year we were seeing these some of these guys that were, you know, deep down in the draft selling for like 50 cents a dollar. People trying to sell them for like three, four dollars, thinking the market's up that much. Uh, no one is buying that stuff. Um, yeah. But you got graded cards. That's where the market's at. Everyone wants graded cards. And me, myself, even, you know, even though it's been a bit of a slog getting through some of these SGC cards that I graded probably and got them back four or five, four months ago, um, slowly, slowly, I've been able to move them. And the thing is, I have still yet to put one on eBay. So probably if I put them on eBay, I'll probably move them quicker. I've been selling all of them through my Instagram page and through nice. Facebook. So, um, I've slowly gotten through. I had about 50 cards graded. I think I've only got about 20 left. Um, so I think there was probably about six or seven that went to the PC and and that, that was it. So I sold about 20, which is pretty, nice. pretty good. That's um, good. Yeah. And, and I think it speaks to how, like how much demand there is and how much energy there is around the card hobby. And, you know, the way I've looked at the whole COVID thing and, and the U S coming out of the COVID market and, and that either, you know, making it so that people don't spend as much, which I don't really see because I think that the, energy and this and the and the uh, demand around the card hobby is sustainable i think covid definitely did help the card market i mean i know i don't think i would have gotten into the card hobby to be honest if it wasn't for covid and and forcing me to just kind of like think differently a little bit and you know just do that sort of research and, and find something new to do and i think that helped and i think what i i've told someone is i think it's going to be really interesting to have people now be in bars and in more social situations talking about the sports card hobby. Cause like, think about it. You're going to say, what did you do over the last year? And you were in the pandemic. Ooh, I got into the sports card hobby. Let me tell you about it. And now you have all these people kind of talking about it. And I think that's where you have this crazy network effect, which actually gives the sports hobby card hobby, even more of an upside in my opinion, because now you have everybody going out and telling their friends about it, which I think, is really cool. Like, I think that actually lends itself to an increase in people finding the hobby as more and more people get reconnected after having not been connected for a long time, you know, through all this. So I think that's, I think that, that I think that's an interesting part of it. Let me, uh, for sure. let's, let's jump into a topic that I, you know, we talked a little bit about that I think is really interesting. This idea that the card market is it maybe getting smarter? And I think we've seen this in the football card hobby, especially where the dips and the rises of those cards of certain players is not necessarily tied to super easy benchmarks like off-season dips and preseason hype and 
you know, postseason push, those easy ways to like find dips and buy and then sell right before the season start starts is becoming harder and harder, right? Because I think people are potentially maybe getting smarter or doing their buys a little bit earlier. What, how do you see that? And what data are you looking at right now that suggests that potentially people are getting just better at this? Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that stood out to me and I look, I don't, I'm not adverse in the baseball card market but you know just uh, listening to people who are in the baseball card market and um them sort of saying like you know the guys don't usually get the run-up this early prior to the season and and uh, i was like you know it made me think like is this going to transition because we didn't really have an off season in 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 basketball like it was a quick turnaround right um so is this going to transition into this off season of basketball where you know where you should be looking to buy is literally you know if a team gets knocked out of the playoffs and the cards dip, that's your buying opportunity. And when, after the, the team that wins or whatever, you know, the season immediately finishes, that's your buying opportunity. Not, you know, two months before the start of the season, which is generally, it's been like three months before. Um, and this is where I, I brought it back to like, this is why I'm starting to buy football now, football yeah. cards. And I bought like a Lamar Jackson uh, PSA 10 select um, nice. uh, I like base that card. rookie. And I was just like, it has a low pop. I'm like, it just makes sense. Lamar Jackson. I mean, some people don't believe in him, but for all disclosure, I don't collect football clients, but what I do do is see opportunity in the market to make a profit to then, you know, make a profit to then buy more basketball cards or buy a Kobe yeah, cards, yeah, yeah. right? So there's opportunities in every market. And that's where, you know, I started educating myself. So obviously learning about uh, the, uh, um, the quarterbacks and they're the ones that drive the league and, and, mainly and um you know people had that um inkling that uh, wide receivers and offensive guys were running backs and tight ends and things like that were gonna have a push um and you know boy oh boy everyone was sort of wrong on that front it didn't really uh come to fruition um but you know i i think people are getting wiser i mean you know i'm just having a look at like the kyla murray psa 10 uh base rookie where this has got a pop just under two thousand. I mean, at one point, the card was at an all-time high of over $1,000, and then it dropped back down significantly, uh, and then it was floored out around three fifty, and then now already, and what are we, you know, six months out from the season, and it's, they're selling, you know, some selling for $600, dollars um, I mean, you know, you got to re- that's uh, already halfway back to its uh, all-time high, and what, we're six months out from the season? Like, um you know, I just think people are getting smarter. People realize uh, you need to be buying well, well, well ahead of the curve. And, you know, now where the, the old saying was uh, people in the hobby can only see three months ahead. Well, I think people are wisening up and realizing that you need to be looking six months ahead, not right. three months ahead. You right? And especially, you know, you buy that card at the floor. Um, and I'm just using the, the, I'm not saying go buy this car. I'm just saying, I'm just using right. this as an example. And, you know, everyone knows the prison base is like, you know, the flagship rookie as people like to call it. But if you're well ahead of the curve and buying that, you know, just around Christmas time last year at 350, well, you're already up 150 bucks on the card. And then you wait till the start of the season. It could be a $700 card. You've doubled your money. So if you're looking for quick flip opportunity, or if you're not quick flip, but if you're looking for flip opportunities, you're able to buy three, spend 350 on the card. Maybe you buy two and sit on it. Well, then come start of the season, you've then got, uh, you know, you've got $700 to play with. And then 
it's probably around the time where you could start buying the basketball. So you can use that money to then buy the basketball stuff and then go into that season. So, um, you know, and identifying these things, I think people are becoming wiser. I genuinely think that, you know, uh, now with all of the information out there, you know, podcasts like mine and yours and uh, the number of other podcasts out there that, and people talk about this stuff and you've got all social media and people who have been in it longer that jump on podcasts and chat about this stuff. People listen and people consume and people learn. Like, you know, if you're not getting smarter and trying to, you know, be smarter and wiser in the hobby, you're going to get left behind. So uh, I think that's what's, I genuinely think that's what's happening. I mean, you know, anyone out there who thinks that it's not the case, by all means DM me and, and let's have a discussion about it. But I think people are becoming wiser in the hobby. You know, and I think football is such a good indicator right now of it. I actually don't buy any football right now either, but football, I've just been something that I've, I've been looking at a lot lately just because I'm fascinated by the market. And I, like one other card to look at here is like the 2016 Dak Prescott prism silver there in a PSA 10 that when he was playing, you know, at his, at his best, putting together the MVP level season, they had been, they, they peaked out around $1,200, $1,300. He breaks his leg in a gruesome, gruesome way immediately drops overnight to 400 right 450 and then it only stays at that level for like two months and it's already back to 850 he hasn't even been back on the field yet and he's already back to like 75 percent of the value of where he was at the all-time peak it is pretty fascinating and you know one other thing that we talked about at the beginning of the episode where right after the ball you know right after the basketball season ends even the winners their prices will also drop because you get that flood of supply Football, that didn't happen. Tom Brady has stayed relatively stable. Now, he hasn't gone up. His Bowman Chrome hasn't gone up, but it has stayed relatively stable and and stayed above like that $18,000 number, which is pretty insane to see that he didn't go down. Now, that may be a discussion about Tom Brady and him, you know, confirming the fact that he's the goat of all goats. You know, in football, that could be a whole different thing. But Patrick Mahomes' car also didn't see a huge dip. You know, people are being smart about Patrick Mahomes' is going to be a generational talent. I'm not going to sell my Patrick Mahomes, even though he didn't win the, 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 the Super Bowl, right? And that's right. I think you're right. Like, I think that makes sense. I think people are becoming smarter about it. They're going to hold when they don't necessarily need to, you know, they're going to, they're going to hold because they're like, okay, I'm going to be smart about this. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes will be in the Super Bowl discussion probably for the next 10 years. So I'm just going to hold it. And I, that's, that's good. I think that eventually that ends up happening. And I think that definitely bleeds over into basketball as well. And we'll see, but we haven't seen the modern run up right now. So, you know, for you and, and for how I think about it, how do you apply that to what's going on in basketball right now, where for the last two months, we had the vintage hall of fame peak, right. at, at the, at the beginning of February, that is kind of correcting itself a little bit. A lot of the low pop stuff is, is just fine and holding, you know, of course, holding strong for those three guys, uh, MJ, Kobe, and LeBron. But we haven't had huge run-ups in the modern market, and we're only about a month away from the playoffs. What do you think about the basketball market right now? Where are you at? Uh, how do you apply that sort of research that you're doing there? Do you think that there's going to be a big run-up for modern basketball right now? Do you think that energy is going to come there, or do you think people are going to be smarter about it and not necessarily buy into hype or do whatever they need to do there? Yeah, well, this is interesting because, you know, the, the, the word is that, you know, uh, you want to be looking to make uh, uh, some sort of investment into, you've spoken about this in, uh, on your podcast as well, which is like, you know, guys who are potentially going to break out in the playoffs or, you know, go deep into the playoffs. Um, 
and be, with the opportunity to, to, to flip the card and, and, you know, make some profit. But uh, I, I don't know because, you know, stuff really hasn't moved um, and it's interesting, you know, you've got, and you've got really good guys who haven't moved, you know, like Giannis and there's one you're bought and, and yeah. like Kawhi and, um, you know, these guys aren't trash players. They're like top 10 guys in the league. And their stuff really hasn't had much of a run-up. So if, if their things aren't getting much of a run-up, I don't know. Are we going to see uh, a big run-up? I think maybe maybe it could come late, could come late the run-up. So maybe you've still got an opportunity to, you know, get out there in this next, you know, little bit, maybe next week or two and, and buy make a play. Um, but generally it's the case. Like we, we've seen this over again on, on the lead-up into the – I mean, I think the bubble was like a bit of an abnorm- abnormality. Right. Um, in terms of like how that all went. But even previously, if you go back and have a look at, you know, you can go back and, and two-year data on uh, card ladder, there is a bit of a run-up into the playoffs, right? It's just what happens. Um, now, is that run-up going to be as significant as it has been previously? Maybe it's not. Maybe people realize uh, and are getting smarter that, you know, for me to make a profit, yeah, they have to get somewhat deep into the playoffs. But if their cards already had a run-up, so, for instance, like you've spoken about, like Jokic or Joel Embiid, maybe you wouldn't be buying those guys because their cards already had a significant run-up. Like, what's their growth potential? And even if, say, Philly did go to win the championship, what's to say that, all right, gets a run-up on the lead-up, he makes it to the finals, the 76ers, they win the championship, and all the supply comes, and that dips off. So, you know, your opportunity to sell is probably, you know, if, you're, if, the, if the guy you're investing in makes it to – conference finals i'd be selling right yeah and it's what yeah. someone that i knew did who had some lebron cards last year they sold all this stuff in the conference finals and he was right to do so because he maximized his profit and we've seen what happened he, lebron won and the cards just went off a cliff right so um just being smarter and and look i just put this out there and this is why i always plug card ladder if you aren't on card ladder you don't have the pro version what are you doing it may helps you make more informed choices it helps you just like you know be better just understanding the data um and just helps you identify trends as well so um look i think it's going to come because it, it, it always does but maybe it's just a bit later than usual um and i would i'm with you on the point that you know, I was, and this is another mistake I made, but look, I'm not that too worried about it because I like Dante DiMincenzo and I bought a lot of his cards really, really, really cheap. Um, I've been buying like, you know, number 20 immaculate RPA for like a hundred bucks. And um, and that's Australian dollars, right? And I'm just like, you know, I'm happy to hold those cards because let's be honest, I'm not going to be able to go buy one of those of like a guy that I really, really want to buy, like a Luca or a... Um, you know, even like a Zion because it's just like far too out of my price range. And I don't want to be dropping that much on a prospect still essentially. Yep. Um, so I'm happy to hold some of those cards, but you know, that's where like another one of my state mistakes was like buying like the fringe guys, right. Albeit you can make money on them. Right. But you need to be buying them well ahead. Now I have, I have, you know, I haven't really sold much of my Dante DiVincenzo, but at the price that I was buying that stuff at way, way back, it's all sort of gone up, but has it, so has everything else in the market, right? The whole market's gone up. You go have a look at the CL in, CL50 index and you can see that indication of how the whole market's gone. That's a good uh, you know, little tool to look at that they've got on card ladder. Um, but 
the fringe guys, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm sort of starting to now be a bit more wary of staying away. Some of them, like you know, I still buy them to flip, but I won't be buying them on a lead-up play into the playoffs. I'm buying them at an opportunity that I see that their cards are down, and then I see potential in that guy. And you know, one of those was Bam Adebayo. I still think he's got really, really good potential, he yep. and his cards dipped. Uh, significantly after they got they lost and, and things. So I started buying a few of his cards. And, you know, they're now starting to play good. They're back in playoff contention. Uh, I think the ball's starting to roll in that Miami team again. And that's where I thought was an opportunity because if you have a look at Bam Adebayo, I think he's probably one of the faces of that franchise in the future. So, so even if I am stuck holding those cards probably not a bad investment to be holding because I think he's going to be one of the, he's going to be enough one or two option on that team in the future. You know, you have a look at his gameplay and how it's transitioning. He's, you know, handles the ball as a big guy. He uh, passes really well as a big guy. He's got a mid range jumper, which is something that Giannis probably, he's got a bit of mid range jumper than Giannis and he's been in the league less than Giannis. And he finishes at the rim well. And that jump shot that I see at a mid range, he's able to hit a 15, 16 footer. Well, I'm sure enough in the next two years that will expand to a three-point shot, right? Because if you're not looking to do that, add to your game, you're going to be out of the league very quickly. So that's the way I, I looked at it. I was like, okay, that's one. And then, you know, Tyler Harrow was another one. I think everyone was quick to jump off the bandwagon of Tyler Harrow, especially earlier in the season when they had all the injuries and everything. And everyone's like, ah, he's overrated, he's overrated. That's fine. Like, sell me your Tyler Hero cards. Like, I should have sold. I have Tyler a Tyler Hero. Hero. Let me sell you my Tyler Hero. I'm jumping off. Not that now because he's gone. He's gone back up. He's gone back. Yeah, up. that's why my stuff I, that I had on eBay forever finally was starting to like sell a little bit because finally it's going back up a little bit. And uh, Tyler Hero is one of my guys. So one, you know, one thing I think you you pointed out here is one way I think the card market's going to continue to kind of understand and get a little bit smarter here is to just perspective right like these guys who are coming into the league like Tyler Hero is like 19 years old I think 20 years old however young he is like right these guys have long careers now surprisingly they are playing really well for young guys like they're 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 producing younger NBA players are producing more than ever when you compare other like obviously young NBA players like what LaMelo was doing before he got injured it was insanely surprising because you, although he's got a lot of hype and you believe that, you know, maybe he's going to be really good for him to actually do it on NBA court in his first season is insane. Like guys, even like Tyrese Halliburton and Patrick, like not surprising to me, Emil, not surprising. Cause I watched I know, a lot you, of games. You, watch, in the NBL. you got to watch him a little bit, right? Yeah. I watched a lot of games. In him. I've got like, I've got the, there's like an NBL league pass that you get nice. the same as the NBA league pass. I watched a lot of games and I was like, you know what? And look, not for anything, our league down here, I'm not going to say like stick up for it and be like, you know, it's, it's a great league, but the physicality in the NBL is way harder than the NBA. Right, the referee, the refereeing in the NBL alone is a joke. Right, the stuff that they allow the players to get away with. If you can come here and be successful as a 19-year-old, you know, playing against grown men, I was like 100% sure this guy he's going to go to the NBA. He's he's going to be a good player. Right. So, and that was he my perspective. It. Like, yeah. and he showed it. Right. He showed and it. And so the prices, the prices of Lamelo cards right now are like eye-opening in terms of what people are willing to spend right off the bat. It's clear like this LMLO energy is going to be insane and it'll probably tail off here, you know, over the next few months because he's obviously not going to be on the court for some time. And 
and whatever. But um, it's good to see because that's that's healthy for the market. I love that that sort of the fact that there's that push is really awesome because it means really good things for the hobby. Modern is important for that reason. I think it's what's going to continue to keep cards doing well. Like why vintage and Hall of Fame will go up is because modern is doing well. Because vintage and Hall of Fame, people look at the the current stuff. Like you were saying, if Luca and Trey are going for this much, Shaq and Tim Duncan and Kobe should be going for way more than that, right? And I, so I think that again, I, I'm like I encourage people to continue to play in modern. I think it's good for the hobby. Like I think we should all be playing modern a little bit. It's fun and it it keeps the current NBA players that sort of catalyst of who's on the court and who's performing as a really fun way to like trade and flip sports cards because then you get to kind of bet on your player and there's that's a there's a really fun element of that so i'm a proponent of it but i do think people are kind of understanding that these guys careers are long and maybe you don't need to go all in on your guy right this second because he's probably going to play for 10 15 years if you're really right and if he's really really good Uh, and i think that's what's i think that probably is happening a little bit uh and i think that's probably good for the market too i mean we should have a long-term view of this stuff so that we're all playing in the card market 10 years from now right because like ideally ideally that's what's happening is that this only grows over the next 10 15 years but uh very cool i think and also like the the um the long like the longevity of 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 the the players like matters and you know you go back and, and people want to say oh you know only x amount is cardboard relevant uh in the future right from each draft class which is true right there's probably like you know only a handful of guys that you want to be holding you know in five to ten years from now from each draft, right. like every time there's a draft class that comes around but also with how the market is now and how it's transitioning and the amount of people that are coming in I mean, there's opportunity to buy some of the fringe guys and understand if you're getting them at, you know, really good prices and you're getting guys that, uh, you know, understanding contracts and and that's a big one, you know. For instance, you know, understanding if a guy's going to get traded and how that's going to affect his car prices and all these sorts of things, there's more opportunity there. So these sort of trends are uh, all stuff that you can learn in in the card market to, to potentially uh, you know, make some bank. I mean, I did, I did get on the Russell Wilson bandwagon when there was early thoughts that he might get traded. But hey, you know what? No, Russell I... Wilson's won. He's won a, a Super Bowl, right? So he's not a bad card to be holding. And I genuinely don't think he's going to finish his career at Seattle. I reckon if he plays there this year, he's going to leave next year. Um, I, you know, if he doesn't get the support that that he wants, like gets the um, uh, the uh, you know the, the offensive line that he, sure. he deserves. Uh, that, you know, he wasn't getting the protection last year, uh, last season, then I think that um, he leaves and and that will see a bump in his card prices. So, you know, these are all the little things that people you can think about and all the, you know, nuances within the hobby that can, you know, make you successful than just believing in this one guy and buying all the cards of that one guy. Because, you know, what could happen? You can get injured severely and then you're holding you know, 90% of your portfolio in one guy, one modern guy. And while you've pretty much, you know, that 90% is now only a 20% return. Um, Once you sell all the cards, if he's got a significant injury or he just fizzles out in the next three seasons, or, you know, he ends up being like Josh Jackson and has bad mentality and just never, you know, lives up to the hype that he could have been. He'd be, you know, put his head to it straight from day dot. Um, So, 
like it's just you know it's interesting and you know people hopefully people get something out of this conversation start thinking of other ways that they can you know potentially make some you know money in the hobby to buy stuff that they want to buy uh, whether it be you know you want to buy to extrapolate the money from the hobby i mean that's your prerogative most of the stuff that i end up making money on goes back into the hobby to buy cards that i really want to hold whether it be long term or whether it be other short term you know plays that i'm looking at yeah and that's the that's a great point to 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 kind of you know end that conversation on it is that you know, hopefully you're, you're making your money and then you're putting it back into other plays and you're making money there and you're putting it back into their other plays and keeping it in the sport, keeping it in the sports card hobby. Uh, you know, that's, you know, that's my goal. I know in all this is to like, be able to create a collection that is truly for me, artwork, you know, like I, I really believe that's where this is going for people our age is when we're, you know, 35, 40, 50, 60 years old, I want to, I don't care about the art piece that's on my wall i want to be able to say i got that crazy cool lebron card you know like i collected a guy of my you know my jordan of my era and and we all want to say that kobe same thing with that you know and for me it's like tim duncan's in that list of of guys that i just i want to be holding his cards you know like from from a long time from now you know so but sure uh, you know, I want to plug your show one more time. I think this was a really fun conversation. I really appreciate you jumping on, man. So if you want to give again, you know, plug, plug your show a little bit and tell them where to follow you and, and how to support your show as well. Yeah. So the, the, it's double coverage podcast. It's at DBL coverage underscore on Instagram. Uh, we are across all socials, TikTok, um, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, if you want to go on LinkedIn and find us there. Um, but yeah, you know, Instagram's our main push. So uh, if you follow us on Instagram, that'd be great because then from there you can find all the links. And uh, me personally, I've got my own personal page, but I don't really, I'm not bothered if you don't follow my personal page, just follow the podcast page. So, um, I mean, there we go. Uh, thank you for having me on, Emil. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you. And, and and you know, please follow me at on Instagram at the Slap Talk, wherever you get your podcast, hit that subscribe button, you know, rate and review uh, all these shows that you're watching. It helps us as, as content producers as well. So thanks again for coming on, John. I appreciate it. And thanks again for listening, everyone. Have a good day.